Hey Seahawks fans, this is Bill uh, coming at you uh, Monday morning. Uh, Keith and I recorded the show yesterday and right after we got done recording, the Seahawks made a couple of personnel moves uh, that had a pretty large impact on the roster. Uh, they decided to release uh, DJ Fluker as well as center Justin Britt and a combined cap savings of $12.1 million dollars. For those two players, uh, the DJ Fluker uh, release was mildly unexpected, although he did have a cap number that was clearly um, available for the Seahawks to use if they decided they, they would need that uh, money. After drafting Damian Lewis in the draft, it became evident that they decided to do that and move on. And then Justin Britt was always somewhat likely to be either restructured or released, uh, given his uh, very large cap number uh, and cap savings well over $8 million. The combined savings, again, is $12.1 million for both players. And uh, that means it's likely that there's other moves coming. Um, with that much cap savings, in addition to what they already had on the books, they're probably hovering in the neighborhood of a functional $15 million or so in, in uh, true cap available. You've still got players out there like uh, Jadavian Clowney, uh, Everson Griffin. Uh, those two players could come in and help that defensive line right away. Uh, there's Chris Jones sitting out there, uh, franchise tag with Kansas City. Kansas City's having a hard time um, with their cap as well, and there may be a possibility that you could trade for a player like that, which would be very interesting. Yannick Nagakwe is still out there. Uh, not sure exactly what the status is with him. Nothing happened during the draft, so he still may be on the block, uh, and the Seahawks might be in play for something like that. So uh, interesting moves uh, over the weekend just after we recorded, so I thought I'd come on and, and give a little add-on before the, the real show started. So hope you enjoy the show. We're talking draft picks. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm Bill Alpstead here with Keith Myers, and we're going to do a little uh, draft recap for the Seattle Seahawks. Keith, welcome into the show, man. Yeah, it's, um, whew, that was what a, a, a weird three days of watching the Seahawks I liked do it. their thing and and yeah. uh, being doing typical Seattle things and that being entirely as unpredictable oh, I know. as they can possibly be but still coming away with a group of people and you're like yeah we probably should have like yeah. those guys the, fit one Seattle of the most much. athletic classes I think we've seen in a long time probably since 2012 yeah interesting what did you think of the actual draft process how did that go, do you think? It was weird. Yeah, like, it was weird, whole, but I thought it went really well. It went smoothly. I actually kind of liked having um, it the way that it was and not having everybody in there and the, the you know the long wait because the card's been turned in, but then they're just waiting yes. for someone to you know to walk up and, and announce it and, and... And shake the commissioner's hand and yeah, all of that. Or, yeah, or any of that. It was just... 
picks in, he announces it, and then they cut to you know to someone else who's going to analyze it. Um, it just and that felt like it it flowed really well. It was a nice um, a nice rhythm to it. Um, I did think that on day three. I mean, it, yeah, it was it, horrible. Is, I thought it was yeah, horrible it, coverage on day three. Yeah, day day three was was terrible because you have the all these picks happening and all these trades happening and all this stuff and nobody's talking about them. Right? They're just talking about oh, let's talk about Joe Burrow some more yeah. and or let's talk um, about country music and let's have you know somebody on singing Kubaya. I mean, I get it, and they were trying to raise money, and it's all great. I mean, I get that, and I totally love that aspect of the NFL and what they do for charity and all that stuff. But come on, we've been waiting for a long time. To have mm-hmm. players to talk about, to draft, to to have the event, and to skip over and gloss over what is the biggest day of the draft, essentially, um, you know, uh, four rounds of yeah, there's, players there's taken. More, there's more play, people take more players taken on Saturday than there are on Thursday and Friday combined. And despite the yeah. fact that they're lower draft picks, if you actually go through and look at rosters there are more saturday picks on nfl rosters than thursday and friday picks combined and you add in drafted Um, guys to that as well and that makes up 75 80 percent of your roster you know so it would have been nice to be able to have some of that now they did go back and they kind of lumped all the picks together so they do a run of like four or five picks and kind of do a little teeny highlight thing really quick but it would have been nice to dive into that a little bit better. Other than that, the process to me went off without a hitch. I mean, it looked like they planned it really well. Uh, they Whatever contingencies that they had in place never really seemed to have been used. And um, they could they probably... Were, they, they happened seamlessly. They happened seamlessly. Notice. I just hats off to the league. I mean, they, it was a great event. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it showed really well on TV for the most part. Except for that third day, it was just that was just too much non-draft stuff going on while the picks mm-hmm. were happening. It was just it was just one of those deals where you could almost have just turned it off and just looked at your phone and hmm. figured it out. You know, that's exactly what I did. Was <laughs> I, I did not watch it at all. I didn't watch that a little bit. Round. And I, I found out that it was going to be it, the fact that it was going to be like that the whole time. I was like, forget it. I don't need to do this. And I. Um, watched on my phone and and um, there you go did that kind of stuff saved yourself a few hours. So uh, we're here today because we're going to talk about uh, the picks. Uh, mm-hmm. Seattle had a very productive draft. I thought uh, they went uh, all over the place as far as uh, the position groups that they did bring in. They ignored a couple of uh, different position groups we thought they might address uh, during the draft. Maybe take care of uh, some of that really uh, amazing wide receiver uh, value. They really didn't do that until the back end of the draft. We'll talk about that. Um, first off, let's figure out what they did as far as trades. So we kind of set this thing up a little bit. Um, Seattle. I got my trades written down here. Hold on. Uh, I thought I had them written down. Where'd they go? I was all ready. Oh, here we go. Um, Seattle trades. Okay. So we made the first pick at 27. We'll talk about it. Uh, but the, the trades were, um, they originally had picked 59 and 64. They jettisoned that 59 pick uh, to move up to 48 with the Jets for the 101st pick overall, so a third rounder. So they gave up the third round pick to move up from 59 to 48. 
Uh, they moved back from 64 to 69 and got pick 148 in the fifth round from the Panthers. And then at the very end, uh, when nobody was really paying attention anymore, literally at the end of the draft, uh, at pick number 251 overall in the seventh round, they made a trade with the Dolphins for a future pick to get back into the draft to make a selection. So those were the trades. Not too much activity, uh, but it allowed the Seahawks to kind of get where they needed to get. Um, the, the interesting part of it was the lack of a trade at um, 127 uh, in the first round because that's the Seahawks always yes. trade down in the first round and they always trade down in the first round and then it didn't happen. And, you know, the all of it what, it, what it appeared happened was that they were in negotiations with a bunch of teams that were wanting Sounded to move like up Green to Bay. take. Yeah, uh, Green Bay was one of them that wanted to move up to take um, love uh, at that spot. And maybe the, whether it was because there were multiple teams interested in moving up and whatnot, um, you know, the, the price got a little pricey and Green Bay contacted Miami, which was right in front of Seattle yeah. and was able to move up into that spot and, yes. and take love. And that left the Seahawks without a trading partner. Yes. Because the people they'd been talking to to move up to 27 suddenly weren't interested because the guy they were moving up for was just taken at 26. So they were stuck at that spot. Couldn't get um, a trade figured out uh, with anyone else that uh, wanted into that spot. And they ended up, making a selection there, which is not well, the first and, and, time that's and, happened. And when they did make the selection, um, Seahawks picked linebacker Jordan Brooks uh, with the mm-hmm. 27th overall pick. And at the time, uh, as expected, uh, Seahawks Twitter completely blew a gasket and didn't understand the pick, didn't know who the player was, uh, didn't understand the, you know anything about it. And kind of freaked out. It's like, oh, it's a big reach. Everyone said he should have gone in the second and third round. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, what what happened in the background with Seattle was that they really wanted to take Brooks. Um, We'll talk about the pick in just a second, but let's talk about the process. So they wanted to take Brooks. Um, They wanted to trade back, though, to pick up that extra third or fourth round pick um, and still take him. Um, And that, that... Trade just wasn't there, so they went and made the pick anyway. But it sounds like if they would have made that trade with Green Bay at 30, that wasn't it Jacksonville was going to come up and take Brooks? That's the word on the street? Well, there was a couple different things. One, they were going to move back. The reason why they were moving back to 30 and not any further was that the Chiefs were sitting there at 32 and they were going to take him. And then then it came out that Jacksonville was going to move up um to 29 or somewhere in that range to get him and basically try and snipe him from Kansas city. Uh, and so they had two other teams knowing or that really wanting Brooks in that same range. And so it worked out because this was the guy they had targeted. He was the guy they wanted. So here's the typical Seahawks deal, right? Uh, all the pundits, all the mock draft guys, all of us, didn't really have this on the radar um, until later, A. And B, if we if we didn't have it on the radar, it was because, you know, he, he had played middle linebacker in college his, his senior year. And so we kind of glossed over him a little bit because we already have a Hall of Famer and Bobby Wagner sitting there. Had we looked uh, deeper under the hood at this guy and given it a little bit more time, uh, we would have discovered all the attributes that are... Uh, 
that are a good fit. So Keith, I'm going to let you have that uh, to start with on Jordan Brooks. Talk to me about what Seattle saw, why they made the pick, and how he fits. Okay, so what they saw is just an athletic freak. This guy's all over the field. He's fast. He's instinctive. He does all the things. He tackles well. Um, Did you see? You know, this, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. Did you see the hand clock time that I uh, posted a tweet on? That, that I didn't. That Nagy uh, posted. So Jim Nagy mm-hmm. from the Senior Bowl posted a hand time clock on him. So he recorded a four five four forty at the combine. But the mm-hmm. hand clock was a four four three um, at the at the Senior Bowl, and that was uh, and he didn't participate in the Senior Bowl because he was injured. But before the injury, at the beginning of the week, he had uh, he clocked that time. So he's a four four guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, which which puts him in the Bobby Wagner range. I mean, that was one of the things with Wagner that um, that the reason why the Seahawks loved him so much coming out of college was because he was so fast, um, for a guy, his size and his tackling and everything else, you add in all these great football player attributes to this insane speed and, and they, they loved him and they were, that's why they went and, and got him, um, you know, instead of guys that were probably, you know, rated higher than him. Uh, and it's a situation like that here where you got a guy who, um, has all these crazy athletic traits and, you know, but he played middle linebacker. Okay. Go, but go a step deeper, go back and look right in 2019. He was middle linebacker in 2018. He was an outside linebacker where he was rushing the quarterback. He was dropping into coverage. He was doing all those things and he did all those things really well. And then in 2019, he moved over into the middle. They um, needed him in the middle. And yeah, he was a tackling machine. I mean, just absolutely crazy in his ability to get after quarterbacks and running backs and just run down plays from all over. Um, but he, his, the, the knock on him was that his coverage skills were a liability, but they weren't in 2018. Right. So what what's the difference? Well, the difference is that they're adding all these extra responsibilities to him in the middle. And so he's having to read and react and he's got like three different responsibilities and has to and he doesn't have any experience in middle linebacker it. before this last year yeah so uh, this is a situation where you know they went and got a player um this he is probably either a sam linebacker or a will linebacker initially this is a guy they believe that can take over for bobby wagner if wagner um you know calls it quits or um you know gets hurt or that kind of stuff i mean th- he's a special prospect athletically so um matt wells texas tech coach called brooks Mm -hmm. the next bobby wagner uh the thing about wells and he would know it's also the (laughs) former coach of wagner at utah state yes um in coverage uh you'd mentioned coverage pro football focus said he'd allowed 81 yards on 133 coverage snaps and one interception with the longest completion of 32 yards that doesn't sound to me like a terrible coverage guy that's in 2019, not 18, by the way. In 18, he had way more snaps in coverage. Um, against the run, he made tackles on 15.1% of run defense snaps in 2019, which led all linebackers in the draft. Physical. So let's, 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 let's state that again just because of how weird it is. When teams ran against his defense, he made over 50% of the tackles. 
You said 15? I thought you said 51. I, I wish. Good. That, that would be a real intense I'll, freak. Because I'm 15. like, I'm like that, but nonetheless. That, seems, that seems impossible with the way you're saying that. I'm like, <laughs> I, that's why I had to stop you. I'm like, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> 15.1. And it did okay. lead all linebackers in the draft. So fifteen point one is more is more reasonable. That's still really high. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. if he had been at twelve, I would have been like, yeah, that's that's still really good. But fifteen is crazy. When I thought you said fifty, I was like, okay, somebody wrote the wrong, the wrong number down. <laughs> so you know what what Seattle's getting is just a potential uh, is a, is a starter and an impact player right away and a guy that really um, um, takes it. Uh, the Seahawks defense to another level as far as attitude, um, as far as inflicting uh, its will on teams and and so forth. And some of that's been missing a little bit. Um, So you get that physical gritty defender, uh, run and hit guy, guy that can chase sideline to sideline ability, that sort of guy. I mean, um, let me ask you this though, Keith, on this particular pick, Let's talk positional value and the draft. And you hear a lot of that right now about critics of this pick. And um, (laughs) I'm not one of those, but you hear it. And sometimes it makes a little bit of sense. And other times you're like, you know what? The Seahawks pick the guy that they need to pick and they pick him when they need to pick him. And that's just the bottom line. But Mm -hmm. linebackers in the first round, they're, they're really special or they, you get guys later on usually. Um, what did they see in this guy that made him pick him at 27 overall? They saw a guy who athletically is got pro bowl talent, possibly all pro talent. If he um, develops the way Bobby Wagner did, um, he is special. Now they, he needs to develop a little bit. He's not going to be there, you know, at that high of a level in year one. But he's still going to be an impact guy. He's going to be a guy you can't keep off the field. Um, and so the Seahawks have now invested a first round pick, a third round pick, and a fifth round pick at linebacker than the last two drafts, but still are starting KJ and Bobby. Twenty five million dollar combo there. And at the same time, they've not wanted to play, car, you know, pay. Clark or Clowney, they're paying those guys. Um, the question is, is this, is Brooks just like Barton and Amati and Collier and BBK and Green and Blair and Griffin as far as guys making an impact in their first year? Or is he like Medcalf who comes in and blasts everybody away right away and makes a huge impact? I think he's uh, somewhere between Metcalf and Bruce Irvin. Um, like Urban came in and did some great things his his rookie year, but was kind of he was underwhelming for the fifteenth overall pick. But if he had been picked in the second round, everyone would be like, "Yeah, that's great." And then in year two, when they moved him to linebacker instead of expecting him to be a defensive end full time, he was a massive contributor to um, a, the, one of the best defenses in the history of football. Um, and I could see this being similar. He's going to come in. He's going to have an impact. He's going to make, uh, and as long as there you know are no injuries, he's going to have a big impact. But maybe not that like uh, where he transforms things in year one, and then in year two he will be a starter and a Pro Bowler and a big time playmaker. Um, and that's all assuming that KJ Wright makes this roster and isn't traded or mm-hmm. cut uh, between now and then, because this pick. Uh, 
definitely says the writing is on the wall for KJ Wright because th- yeah, they play the yes same position. No. Well, not this year, I don't think. Here's my thought on this. Um, I think that, that Jordan Brooks, um, by all accounts and every evaluation that I can get my hands on and just watching film, you know, tape, YouTube highlights, whatever you want to say, um, on the guy, points in the direction of him being just an amazing player closer to the line of scrimmage. And so I think Sam this year is is the better fit for him to allow him to get into an NFL defense and mm-hmm. and learn what it's all about and use his instincts closer to the line of scrimmage where he's just a baller. He's a heat-seeking missile. He hunts the ball um, and uh, and and learn the nuances of that uh, Will spot or even uh, Bobby's spot in the middle. Um, as the year goes on and, and maybe make an impact there next year. That's just my thing. That way you yeah, don't have to no, depend on dropping that. out into coverage too much. He's closer to the line of scrimmage. They can blitz him. They can do stunts uh, where he, he comes up the middle and so forth, where he can actually use all of that speed. And I think what this really says is that the team recognized that KJ Wright is it was hard to watch him run last year. He just didn't look comfortable running. He it was hard slow. to watch Bobby Wagner run too. And Bobby Wagner was, is definitely slowing as well. And that was one of the things you and I talked about leading up to the draft is this team on defense needed more speed. It just was so slow at times. Yes, and Keith. so they went, they went and got a guy who's like going to infuse speed and athleticism yeah. like crazy. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, that's that why I love seven. the speed, and that you add the Dunbar trade to it with the speed at the corner, and then you add mm-hmm. a couple of the other picks we're going to talk about here. Um, and and Pete Carroll came out and said, you know, that's what we need to do. We need to add toughness, and we need to add speed. And I think that they they accomplished that out of this draft. So, okay, yep. so after. Uh, after sitting there in the second round, we thought we were going to wait until the uh, 59 pick overall. Seattle uh, decides to move up, um, which they do. If they identify a player that they want and they need to have on their team, they'll go get them. They've proven that over and over. That's what they did here. Uh, so they move from 59 to 48, trade with the Jets. Jets pick up our third round uh, pick uh, 101 overall for that move. And to move up uh, 10 spots, Seattle elects to take Daryl Taylor, the uh, edge or Leo, uh, edge defender, defensive end, rush, the passer guy out of Tennessee with that 48th overall pick. Daryl Taylor is that pick, Keith. I like the pick. Uh, we talked about him in the past. He's a guy that totally fits what they're trying to do. Uh, Seattle elected to wait until the middle of the second round to kind of address their quote-unquote largest need uh, along the defensive line. And uh, I think this is a great fit for the team. Oh, this is an amazing fit for the team. This was actually a guy that you picked out when we did our uh, live draft, where we did a mock draft live. Um, you singled this guy out and was like, yeah, we need to go get him. And uh, he, you know... Uh, was a you know player that we had, and, and the Seahawks agreed. They actually traded up for him, and I love the pick. I mean, this guy is athletically, he is a a guy that looks like someone who should be a top 15 pick. Um, he needs to work on his hand usage uh, in order to disengage with tackles, 
and he needs to develop another counter move, um, like a spin move or something to the inside. So he's not just mm-hmm. rushing the speed around the edge, but these are things that you can coach and, um, athletically you're not going to find, um, except for maybe chase young, you're not going to find a better defensive end, uh, in this draft. And so to have wow. this five, to have this five-star athlete in there who's dropped into round two because he needs coaching and he's more, he's, there's a little bit of project to him. Um, you go, okay. Um, but this is like getting Frank Clark at the end of round two. And the reason why he fell is because of all the domestic violence like issues um, and you know allegations and stuff against him. This guy fell because you know, people are looking at him and they're going like, wow, he's kind of got one pass rush move. And that is to just dominate with speed and, and yeah, around I don't, the edge. I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, this guy's got a little bit more depth to him than, than just that. And, and that's why I really like the pick. So if you really just focus on what he can do and you'll get an idea of what the Seahawks will let him do in, in 2020 and develop the rest. Um, you know he's get he's the ideal size for the Leo at six four two sixty seven. In fact, he's a little larger than typical, but he makes mm-hmm. that up with speed and first step quickness uh, and a little bit of length. He's got the thirty three inch arms, uh, eighty two overall wingspan. That explosive first step though is what he what got him drafted. Plus the bend and the and the dip and rip move. Plus he's got yeah, the bull he he's the got the bull rush. So well. He's got the swim move. So he's got three or four. The, the the knock on him was he didn't really have a counter. So if somebody's got him pegged on that first move, he doesn't really he's not really adjusting. He's got the spin. Yeah. He, you know he does he does the spin move a little bit um, into the interior, which actually was pretty effective for him last year, if you watched him. Um, and he played well against the the tough SEC you know tackles uh, that are there. But he's a he's got that first strike mentality. Um, Solid at creating strip sacks and forced fumbles. He's kind of a physical guy when you look at him. He's thick and like well built and muscular. Um, and then you add that strength and quickness off the off the ball. I like it. I mean, I like it. And the and and the one thing to consider too is uh, everyone's talking about his production. Oh, I, I think there was plenty of production. I mean, he had thirty six tackles, eleven tackles for loss, eight sacks, three forced fumbles as a as a sophomore in 2018, as a junior in 2019, he had 46 tackles, 10 tackles for losses, eight and a half sacks, four pass breakups. The guy was plenty productive in the SEC, but oh, yeah. he had a stress fracture in best, his leg. I say he was playing against some of the best offensive tackles in the country um, and held his own against the run, his ability to set the edge and do the things. That That's true. For a Leo, window. he's one of the best run defenders in the draft. Yeah, he was very good at that aspect of it. And then, you know, his uh, pass rush going against some of the really, really top flight talent, he was still productive. I I don't um, I don't have think there's any problems with uh, his productivity. Yeah, well, and he had that stress fracture in his leg. And I don't yeah. know what kind of an impact that had on him, but that to me that would impact uh, a guy, especially if he's in pain. If you're in pain, you're protecting something, you're going to be less effective. And I think maybe that that was an issue with him but i agree definitely first round talent got him uh, midway through the second round i think it's a great pick for seattle i think he's immediately going to come in and be part of that rotation at the leo spot uh irvin they're talking about irvin being there as well uh Mayoa is there uh we picked up a guy later in the in the draft as well uh that will come in and try to compete for that so to me 
um, it, it, it allows me to feel a little better about our pass rush ability this year. I still think we need to add some sort of a defensive tackle. Um, and maybe they go out and add an experienced, uh, pass rusher, um, as well to this group just so that they can make sure that they solve that problem uh, this year. Well, this question was brought up to to Pete Carroll and Sean Snyder um, over the draft weekend. And what they said was that um, they're going to, they're going to use Rasheem Green and LJ Collier Collier at the five tech uh, side um, on running downs and push them into the three tech uh, on passing downs, so that way they can get they can bring in the speed of somebody like Bruce Irvin um, or Benson Mayoa on that side, and and set nice. up basically set up a Nash a, a NASCAR package where you have um, you know pass rushers in three of your four spots with like say Green Taylor yeah uh, and Irvin. then blitz Jordan Brooks nice. Yeah. And then, so basically, set up the ability to to bring guys from all over, and so you have these bigger guys uh, that they've drafted the last two years that will play end against the run, but tackle against the pass, um, and allow their speed guys to come in, and rather than having uh, a guy, you know, your your bigger guys out there on obvious passing situations. Nice, you know, and a guy like uh, Rasheem Green's athletic enough where he can beat most guards. Um, not just with a bull rush move. Now Collier, he's got that big, huge bull rush. I would be mm-hmm. very interested to see Collier rush from the interior. I think that he would have maybe more success from that spot. All right. I mean, I could see a situation where um, you have both of those guys in the middle, and then you know, like Taylor and and Irvin as the outside. Well, guys. and Reed's and no slouch as well. I mean, you're going to want Reed in there too, but. Well, at times, but you know, it's, uh, your defensive linemen are are playing forty eight percent of your snaps. Your, you know, the top ones will play sixty two, sixty three percent of the snaps. You, there's got to be a rotation, so you're going to have different guys in. Um, but just you know, to have all of those uh, moving parts and the ability to mix and match and and get production from lots of places would be helpful. And all of this is assuming that they don't add. Uh, Clowney or Griffin, which are both still options. I was going to ask you a follow-up. It does sound a bit like the Clowney um, situation has kind of run its course unless Clowney changes his mind. I was going to ask you a follow-up question. Do you feel better about the pass rush uh, now as you did last year, even with Clowney, or do you still feel like you need to add that Griffin clowny thing in a Super Bowl kind of contention uh, year in order to ensure that you've, you're getting the job done. I want to add uh, either Griffin or Clowney still because I think they're in a situation where you're asking two guys in Collier and Green who have, or Collier hasn't really shown anything. Green has flashed the ability to be good, but never put it together consistently. Um, and, a couple of rookies and a couple of older guys yes. and expecting that group of uh, six guys to suddenly, you know, coalesce into a working uh, pass rush where there's just, there's too many question marks there to me. I, I, you go, you go add a dominant player like Clowney to the mix and suddenly you feel great about this pass rush. Um, well, him. and he enables any, everybody to play better. Yeah. Cause he draws all those double teams. So the first two picks in the draft, Seahawks turn their attention to defense. Will they 
turn their attention to the offense with their third pick overall. Yes, they do. Keith, what'd they do? Well, they went and got a um, an interior defensive lineman, which I thought was a, a little unexpected. I expected them to to address the tackles position, but they went and, and addressed the interior with Damian Lewis, um, a just absolutely massive bulldozer uh, at guard. Just guy picks people up and and drives them, you know, into the. Oh, secondary. I loved watching tape on him. Um, basically to me, when I looked at it, I I, I go, they they just, they just picked a young, um, less injured fluker to replace fluker. If maybe not in year one, he'll be replaced them in year two. I mean, that's what they did. They just got this massive guy who is just, you are going to be pushed back no matter what in, on a running play. And He's not great out in space. He doesn't have, you know, that athleticism and, yep. and stuff to 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 match linebackers and avoid, you know, having them get around him and whatever. But inside his box, straight ahead for an inside inside zone team, which the Seahawks are, man, he, this guy is going to move people and create massive holes for so, running backs. So you're right, Keith. So the way that I looked at it, and you you can tell me if I'm wrong or you can agree or whatever. Uh, he was the best guard available in the draft in that scenario. Like the way that the Seahawks are going to use him in a small, short area of space, he's mm-hmm. the best fit as a run blocker for this team. I agree. Um, at that right guard spot, where they tend to just want the guy to to block straight for straight ahead, um, you know, because they run that inside zone with uh, the running back being to Russell Wilson's left. Um, that's their most common run. Uh, you want that right guard just to be a, a straight ahead bulldozer. And Damian Lewis does that better than anybody else in this draft class and fits in. He's a, like I said, he's a young uh, version of Fluker and that's what they want and that's what they need there. So, um, yeah. well, I mean, power, leverage, demeanor. Uh, the guy wants to go kill somebody. Um, mm-hmm. Solid. He's just a solid block of human mass, like thick, powerful. Mm-hmm. Best drive blocking guard in the class. Always looking to work. So he's uh, if he's taking care of his guy, he's going to rub off and move move on to somebody else. Um, yeah, I mean, consistently the guy that uh, LSU would run behind on short yardage, you know. And Absolutely. I think Seattle would be the same way. So if he can beat out Fluker out of camp, so be it. You know, Fluker, you can uh, if you had to, and, and likely if Fluker is beat out, he would be cut. You could save a couple mm-hmm. three million bucks doing that. Yeah, if they, they needed to. You're not going to. You're not going to keep a guy like Fluker as a backup, um, who's on the last year of his deal, and, and you know you'd save it three million to to cut him, whatever. If a rookie beats him out, he's going to end up being gone. Um, I don't know if that'll happen. I think they, just based on last year and what we saw, they'll probably roll with Fluker in week one, um, with the idea that Lewis is going to get playing time because Fluker never stays healthy. Um, yeah, you can count on Fluker so, playing about 10, 10, 12 games max. Yeah. And so Lewis is going to get playing time. He's going to get that seasoning and be ready for 2021 when he is the starter. Um, but what that does to me is is that pick right there makes the Mike Lupati signing even more just insane. Um, the, to bring him back, because now you've got... Keith, we've got your, 14 or 15 guards on the roster. 
Yeah, I know. And then also, why are you, why why would you bring back Mike Lupati? I mean, granted, they've got fifteen guards on the roster, but to me, you've got uh, Lewis and Fluker on the right side. You've got Lupati, Hayes, um, Jones, and maybe Posick on the left side. Uh, the others that are on there. I'm not giving any shot to make the roster at this point. Unless somebody, somebody has to jump out and really shock me. Right. Um, but to know that you've got two guards on the right and three on the left uh, without Lou Potty, I just don't see why they. Well, and they in. have Knox too. Demetrius Knox showed really good promise before he was put on injured reserve last year as well. Yeah, he did. He did all right. Um, I'm more interested in in Hayes, and because I think he is, he is also an absolute road grader in the running game, but in a completely different way than Damian Lewis is. He's a great left guard um, in Seattle's system because he gets to the second level. He can block uh, linebackers at the second level. Um, he's able to you know do that kind of stuff and set up those cutback lanes for the running back. And that's what you really need out of your left uh, guard in this system. And so the two of them together, last year's fifth round pick, this year's third round pick, look like they're going to be the starters at guard for the next five, six, ten years. Um, And I don't really want this team to waste, you know, time getting to them. They drafted these guys to be good. They have all the physical makeup to be great. Get them on the field. So were you surprised at all that Seattle didn't address tackle in this draft and went with Lewis instead at guard, knowing that they already had a lot of guards on the roster? Um, and and when you take a look at the tackle group on the roster, it's somewhat lacking. Yeah, I am. Uh, and that is, it, it was a little questionable to me. I think that they, if you're looking for, the 2020 season, a tackle was much more necessary than a guard. If you're looking for the next three to five years, guard was much, much more necessary than a tackle because um, you're going to lose Fluker and Lupati after this year. Posick's on in his last year and he can't stay healthy, um, which is leave you Jones who can't stay healthy. Um, and Hayes, who's a, you know, at this point, relatively unproven. Uh, Basically, you've got one year left of your interior defensive line and you have to... Offensive line. Or offensive line, your interior of your line. You have one year left of all these guys and then you have to either replace them or re-sign them. And I don't think they want to re-sign any of them. Uh, So I I can see it that way. But if you look at at tackle, um, they're... Thin. I mean, they've got basically the guys they signed uh, in free agency and a seventy-three-year-old uh, Dwayne Brown um, as and, their and, and and Wheeler is the primary swing tackle. So that's not yeah. comforting, you know. And so uh, I expected them to go get a a tackle, uh, and they didn't do that just because I expected them to go get the player that they needed to start this year. And then they would handle guard next year when that problem came up instead. Well, they and chose I think to ha- you handle know, the guard this year. And that's kind of the way we addressed it in our mock drafts is we were uh, often choosing a tackle with that first pick overall, because it, it aligned with that sort of um, the thing that you just described is trying to get a guy that could come in right away and start at mm-hmm. right tackle. But what this tells me is they're pretty comfortable with shell right now. 
Yeah. Um, or they're comfortable with the combination of a bunch of different guys and th- knowing that one of them will, will come forth, whether it's Shell or, or uh, one of the other guys will step up. So uh, at this point in the draft, we've taken care of some of the basic uh, bread and butter things on, along the trenches. Uh, this next pick kind of uh, addressed what uh, nobody was really anticipating being a need, but uh, got a heck of a player, Keith. Um, with the fourth round pick, 133 overall, Seattle chose Colby Parkinson, uh, the tight end out of Stanford. This guy's a mammoth human being at six foot seven, 252 pounds, 33 and a quarter inch arms, ran a four seven seven forty. Uh, fairly decent production over a couple years at Stanford, um, with poor quarterback play. Um, evaluators have listed Parkinson as a, as a pass catching only tight end, but the Seahawks envision him as a complete prospect. Um, so he, they're going to ask him to gain a little bit of weight. This is according to straight out of Pete's mouth, basically at the press conference after the draft, they're going to ask him to gain a little bit of weight and inline block a little bit. Um, is yeah, it the Jimmy Graham experiment part to, two? I don't think so because, um, you know, Jimmy Graham was a basketball player who, you know, was an athlete. This is a guy who's been playing football. He does. I mean, he's had to block. Um, he's willing. He's, he's a willing blocker. He's a willing blocker, but doesn't, has never really been asked to do a lot of it because he wasn't great at it. But um, he's also at, at 252. He's not really um he's pretty small to be drafting or to be blocking you know those um 275 pound defensive ends um and yeah, so if they, they can get him to up get, to 260 or 265 yeah yeah they want him in the in the in in that range between 260 265 um and he's because he's pretty thin uh for a guy who is six seven at well, only let me ask you this let me ask you this, Keith, and the reason I mentioned the Jimmy Graham experiment, you, you said no right away, but I want you to reconsider a little bit in, in this sort of angle, uh, in the way that the Seahawks were approaching it, not the, not the player that Jimmy Graham was, but the way that the Seahawks forced Jimmy Graham to try to block when he wasn't a blocker and he was a pass catcher, and the Seattle failed to kind of, I think, recognize that in the first probably 18 months that Jimmy Graham was on the team. And ended up not working, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd hate to see a situation where we press a guy to be a blocker when he's an outstanding pass catcher. You're going to add weight to him, possibly slow him down further off that four seven seven forty. He's clearly a mismatch issue uh, for defenses at six seven in the red zone. Uh, I think he caught uh, twelve touchdowns for uh, the Cardinals over his career there. So that's my question is, are the Seahawks forcing somebody to be somebody that he's not? I don't think so. Um, There's a difference between the player is what I was trying to say, because um, Parkinson's a younger player and a willing blocker. He needs to learn how to do it and he needs to he needs to gain the muscle mass in his lower body to be able to do it. Uh, And I think put in in a pro uh weight room and and all of that kind of stuff i think he'll be able to do that and become that player um with uh jimmy graham jimmy graham had zero interest in doing all of these things they, he was like yeah sure i'll try but he never 
he never put any energy into changing his body and, and developing the strength that was necessary. His effort uh, in blocking was often pretty low. Um, he just was never a guy that was worth putting the, the energy into to try and turn him into a blocker. And I think that had much more to do with the failure of that attempt than the Seahawks asking him to learn. Um, and I don't believe that Parkinson's going to have that same uh, attitude. He's going to come in, he's going to work his tail off, yeah. and uh, he's going to get better. Is he ever going to remind anyone of Will Disley or Zach Miller as a blocker? I don't think so. Um, but he might remind people of Luke Wilson as a blocker, who is effective but not great. And you combine that they, with what and, he does in the passing game. Yeah, well, and as much as we talk poorly of Jimmy Graham, if you look at Colby Parkinson, he's got Jimmy Graham's upside as far as being a pass catcher in the offense. Um, just using that frame uh, to win battles, jump balls, et cetera, red mm -hmm. zone target. Um, Colby Parkinson's got a chance to really impact the offense this year. Um, if you take a look at the tight end room, and it's a bit crowded right now. Uh, we've got Olson, Greg Olson, come on as a 45-year-old <laughs> tight end prospect. Um, but he can still young. get the job done. I know, he's 35, but he can still get he's the 62. job done, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he's yeah. He he's can still get the job done. Disley's yep. there. Um, Wilson's there. And Hollister's coming back on a second-round tender. Now, we talked about mm -hmm. Hollister possibly being the odd man out before the show a little bit and I'm just not so sure because of that second round tender that shows that they really believe in him some of the comments that Pete made um, about him recently indicate that they're excited to have him back and expand his role a little bit as far as being a pass catcher so yeah he proved to be so productive last very. year in ways that in in ways that you know you look athletically he's kind of semi-limited um but he was so productive. He makes he, just the way he runs his routes and the way he finds space and the depth that he creates. Russell um, Wilson had you earned know, his, you know, he earned Russell Wilson's trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a hard time seeing him be the odd man out, but you look at that group, right? Um, Luke Wilson is on a minimum salary benefit yeah, he's deal, gone. which means he, he could easily be gone. Um, and there's no guaranteeing that Will Disley is ready to go. And, uh, actually plays at the beginning of the year. He may start the year right. on on the pup list or on injured reserve, most likely the pup list, um, the physically unable to perform list, and that opens up a roster spot. And so then you end up with, um, you know, a situation where uh, Hollister, Parkinson, Olsen uh, all make the team, and they might keep a fourth and keep Luke Wilson around at that point, uh, knowing that they can let him go at any moment when. Uh, you know, if they need if they need a roster spot or if Disley's ready. I like the move by the Seahawks. It's one of those picks that you don't think that they're going to make and they make it. And then afterwards, you're happy because we got a nice little weapon. I mean, I think that he works out. Um, this could be a gold mine as far as a kind of a touchdown machine uh, as time mm -hmm. goes on. All right. So we address the offense with the uh, prior two picks. We address the defense at the top of the draft. Which, which way do they go here? So pick four, uh, pick the f uh, fourth round pick, uh, 144 overall. They pick a guy that we kind of skipped over a little bit when we were talking about running backs, Keith. Uh, 
Yeah. You and I, he was not on our radar. He was a guy that we just kind of were like, yep. Uh, He's just a guy. Just, he, he, we just skipped, skipped over him. We didn't really consider him. We looked at other guys that we liked more. Um, and of course, the guys that we liked more went way earlier yes. than we well, expected that's the, them to. That's the deal. We probably didn't spend uh, enough time looking at later guys. Because other people um, liked those guys that you and I liked, uh, including NFL GMs that took, you know, uh, guys that we thought would be available in the fourth and what the uh, mock draft simulators thought would be available in the fourth and they went in the second. Um, and so you end up like we kind of just skipped over DJ uh, Dallas, who's uh, the running back out of Florida. Um, but here he is. And having once the CX drafted him and I go. Okay, let's go look at him, see who he is, that kind of stuff. And then you go, God, this guy should have been on our radar. This should have been someone that we were talking about because he fits what Seattle's looking for. He fits what Seattle wants. Um, you know, he's 5'10, 217, runs with power, he finishes runs, um, you know, by by just grinding through that extra you know, yard. His uh, really hard to tackle, runs through arm tackles like crazy, um, got some decent speed at, at four, five, eight, um, good athletically all across the board. Uh, just a guy that can, you know, do a lot of different things. He played wide receiver at times at Miami. He played with um, uh, Travis Homer for a year. Yeah. Short, uh, to, shared, uh, shared carries with him. Yeah. And, and to me, um, he he does a lot of things. He he runs. I mean, you can see some of it, some of his time at wide receiver a little bit, and that he's not quite patient enough at times to let the block set up. But at the same time, he's smart with his ability to get linebackers to run into blocks. Um, you know, when he's there, the the one big knock on him is that in the open field, he doesn't have that like ability to make people just completely miss. Um, he prefers to just run guys over and that can lead to him getting tackled um, at a 10 yard gain rather than making a guy miss and going for 30 um, and that kind of stuff. But he's still going to run guys over. Well, and at four, uh, and that's five, eight, he's not, he doesn't have that tremendous speed that's he's going to pull away from you. You know, guys are going to catch up to him, especially like safeties and corners. Um, mm-hmm. Not a terribly productive player in college, but it's about what he projects to in the NFL, right? He can run between the tackles. It's not, you know, this is a guy that's not undersized. Um, so he can, he can take that punishment, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Does it really well. Um, and he's the best pass pro running back in the class. So protection wise, that's his, that's his favorite thing he likes to do. He said in an interview, I really like to, to be a pass pro. It's kind of fun to inflict your will on the guys that are coming in to try to get to the quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. and Pete loves those guys. In, in fact, that's why, uh, who was it that there was a running back, uh, for Seattle a few years back that he, uh, that Pete just didn't trust, uh, to, to be able to pass pro very well. I can't remember who it was. Um, um it was Christine Michael. Yes. And, and he never had, a, never really put him in because of that. You know, just yep. never stuck on the roster. So anyway, this is an interesting pick for me. Um, we have Homer on the roster. Carson's mm-hmm. our feature back uh, coming off that hip. Penny's injured with the ACL plus some other stuff going on in his knee. Not necessarily coming back first game. 
Um, so this pick would indicate that this would be Carson's backup unless we made didn't make a, another veteran-type move. And then we have Homer there, who earned the right, I think, for some additional carries and some work out of the backfield as a receiver. Does this duplicate that Homer role on the roster, or is this something more than that, Keith? I think it's more than that. I think this is a guy that uh, could be a uh, long-term starter. Um, if, you know, if Penny's never the same because of, because of the injury and, uh, they let Carson go rather than, you know, paying him the huge salary that he's going to want, you know, you, you've got a guy here who they, I mean, he looks like a guy that you could turn to and, and turn the, the running game over to and be fine. So, uh, I think that's more of his role. And then if, you know, if things come together and Carson stays and Penny's healthy and then yeah okay you can convert him into that third round or third down back um and he could be everything that they wanted CJ Procise to be but he never did the uh, other thing with DJ uh Dallas as well is he is a return guy so he can return mm-hmm. punts and kickoffs which is uh, it has its own value uh, so if he can play special teams that's definitely going to earn him a roster spot. And like you said, if he's a little bit more than Homer, as far as between the tackles guy, a guy that can take the feature role at some point, that's pretty good value on the, on the roster, especially a fourth round. So uh, one story with him that I actually kind of loved when I was, you know, going back and, and doing what was probably the research I should have done (laughs) before the draft. Um, But apparently in 2018, he had like major, um, fumbling problems and he worked on it and and figured out you know was had the the you know ball control like just issues and it was more mental than anything um he had four fumbles that year and then he went and saw a uh sports psychologist because he knew it wasn't a physical thing and just worked on that aspect of his game and was willing to spend you know put in the mental work on you know what was causing him to uh, not do in the game what the, all the things that he practiced and came out his junior year and didn't fumble once all year. Yeah. And, well, and it went even deeper. The- it went even deeper than that. So uh, in the process of him talking to his uh, counselor guy, his uh, sports psychologist, he uncovered some stuff about himself that he'd been carrying around with him. I don't, I don't want to go into it, personal stuff, mm-hmm. but he had some personal stuff that was, causing some of this these issues some of these issues were manifesting themselves in his play they were kind of taken over um mentally um so he wasn't completely 100 percent there mentally game day at practice and so forth so i just thought i'd throw that in there too yeah um i just i, I like the i like the uh self-awareness just to, yeah to recognize hey you know this isn't working um, it's not what I'm doing in practice. It's, it's, you know, there's something else. He went and, and looked for answers and found them and embraced them and became a significantly better player for it. And I think that's phenomenal and the type of player you, you cannot have enough guys like that on your roster. Sweet. All right, Keith, what do we do in the fifth round? So we picked up a fifth round pick, which uh, which was awesome because, you know, every time I tried to trade back, I always tried to pick up a fifth round pick because it always seems like there's some value there. Um, and so I'm trying to find my notes here again. So we moved so went, back. Go ahead. 
I was gonna say I was just gonna jump in because this is yeah with the with the the pick from before um, with the trade. So that the the DJ Dallas pick was at one forty four. This wasn't at one forty eight. It was just four picks later, and uh, so the one forty four is at the very end of round four. One forty eight is at yes. the very beginning of round five. Um, yes, perfect. But the Seahawks got a guy in Alton Robinson who's an edge rusher. Uh, out of Syracuse. I like this pick. This is a guy who has probably second round talent who dropped because of some off the field, you know, kind of questions about him and, and those kind of things. But you're talking about a guy with, with uh, all, not all pro, but pro bowl potential uh, and athleticism and that that's dropping into the fifth because you're not sure what's going on between the ears. Um, you could get this huge, awesome player, or it could bust out, but you gave up very little to get him, you know, with a fifth rounder. So uh, I like the pick. It's one of those those guys that boom or bust, right? He's either going to be great or he's going to not factor into your team. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, the, for his size, he's, poss- got, he's got great speed. Here's the, the he, I mocked him. So like in our mock draft that we published... I actually mm-hmm. mocked him as in the fourth round at 144 overall. He went 148. Sorry, I missed it by four spots. Um, <laughs> but uh, I liked him, you know, at that at that spot in the draft as far as value, um, just because he's a guy with he, he's got the all the physical attributes, like you said. He's the twitched up edge rusher guy to become, you know, very disruptive um, in the NFL. But does he have the will to to make it all happen, to put it all together? Uh, but he's got the bursts and the bend and the counters and the swim moves and the blocking, and he can stop the run, and he's got some decent production in college. But <clears throat> he fell in the draft because he just has that mental thing going on, and people feel like perception is that he should have been better um, at Syracuse because He's in a mid, uh, mid-level mid conference with mid-level competition, and he should have really completely stood out and did not. So mm-hmm. need to figure that out. Uh, I think what, they can, what they, you can do with a guy like that is you can um, basically have him in uh, that role where he comes in on third and long, and you have him rush the passer. He gets 10 snaps a game where he, you're only asking him to do one thing, and that is get upfield uh, and rush the passer. And other than that, you aren't expecting much from him in, in his first year. But by allowing him to use those you know, incredible athletic traits, you can still get productive, production out mm-hmm. of him. And I think that's going to be a great fit for, for them and what they need. I agree. I agree. I mean, there's tremendous upside there. And, you know, let's go and tap some of that and and put him in a position where you take advantage of what he already does really well, which is uh, is being fast and being Mm -hmm. instinctive and just kind of let that go. Yeah. Um, Okay. so picks uh, in the sixth round, 214 overall. So this is our original end of the draft pick. Uh, Seahawks picked wide receiver. Freddie Swain, six foot one ninety seven, and a four four six forty. He's got a thirty six and a half inch vertical, seven oh five three cone, which is excellent. Uh, four point two six 
short shuttle. So he's a slot wide receiver, Keith. I didn't look at him prior to the draft. I haven't spent much time with him, um, but he's got some kick returning uh, possibilities. So he's got some special teams upside. He's a developmental guy. He'd be there competing with like a John Ursua. He's faster than John Ursua. He's twitched up a little bit more, uh, but John Ursula mm-hmm. understands routes and understands seams and and how to be an NFL wide receiver at this point, having one year on, under his belt on the roster. So how does Freddie Swain come in and have any impact at all? I don't know if he does, except for maybe on special teams. He's got to make the roster first. He's got to beat out uh, John Ursula, who is um, much more refined, better route runner, uh, just but in, older. understands defenses better, and he's but he's actually significantly older. Um, Urs was already twenty five, um, and so that is you know one of those things where you're looking at uh, this guy and you're like, well, maybe he's going to be better. Um, there, one of the knocks on uh, Swain is relatively small hands at nine inches. People, their uh, scouts Ooh. were worried about uh, whether or not he's going to be able to have secure hands or he's going to drop the ball a lot. Um, although he didn't really have dropping problems in college, but the NFL really, ball is about twenty percent bigger than college football. Yeah, uh, we'll see. But it's, you know what I mean. It's it's one of those things we'll look at. Um, he is he is a very you're looking at an athlete who checks all of the yes we want that we want that we want that we want that. Um, but then you're not necessarily looking at a football player. You're looking at an athlete. Yes. And he he is a developmental project. Um, yes. He he fits a very specific, finite uh, amount of... Um, he's only got one position in the NFL, and that's a slot guy. I mean, he's not going to mm-hmm. be on the outside for you. He's not going to stretch the field. He's going to play underneath exclusively. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got a, he runs a four four six uh, forty, so he's actually got a reasonable amount of like mid range speed. Uh, but he doesn't he's not that super fast guy like Lockett um, or that big guy that can stretch the field and, and create some separation uh, because of his height. You know, it's giving a, a bigger spot. So he's more of a of a mid range guy who can get deep if teams. Uh, are playing a little soft with their zone and he can kind of get behind a linebacker or in front of a safety type of thing. Um, just, you know, in his makeup, he, he's a slot receiver. I mean, that's who he is. Um, he's not going to push anybody on the outside for playing time. He's going to be your third or fourth guy if on the field, if he gets sees the field. Yeah. Um, I, but he's yeah, got to, yeah. he's got to develop uh, he's got to develop the, the, you know, the routes part of his game and some of the just more instinctual nature that a guy like John Ursua has ahead of him. Um, but he's more twitched up. He's more, um, he's got more potential as far as just pure athleticism than a guy like John Ursua. So he's worth, but, but John Ursua might be a better, better ride receiver overall. Yes. Overall, right. um, and so what what this gives you is you're like okay if this is going to be our sixth wide receiver, <clears throat> excuse me, um, your sixth wide receiver better be able to make an impact on special teams so they're not worth a water, a roster spot. Well, and he's and, a gunner. I mean, he he yeah. has that ability. He can he can do yep. that. Yep. And so in in that sense, what he kind of reminded me of was went back when the Seahawks picked Byron Maxwell 
who was a special teams star in college, but wasn't really a player on at, at cornerback in that Clemson defense. They saw a guy that like, okay, he's athletically there. He can make an impact on special teams and maybe we can teach him, you know, how to play. And they did. And he became, you know, a good player and a starter and someone who, um, you know, went on to sign a big contract elsewhere. Um, and this is kind of a, similar, but it's on the offensive side of the ball. This is a guy that could come in and make an immediate impact on special teams. And you hope you can turn into a good player. So at this point in the draft, Keith, I turned it off. I walked away. I said, I'm done. I don't even care if the Seahawks come back in, into the, the seventh round and make a pick because I'm, I'm just done. Like my, my family needs me. I need to get away from the TV and the draft and, uh, and carry on with my weekend. So I did. And then I checked my phone about an hour and a half later, and uh, lo and behold, we traded back up into the seventh round, just like we did the year prior, and mm-hmm. we and we picked up a pick at the very tail end of the uh, seventh round, and um, we we made we made the pick. So uh, we we initiated a, a trade with Miami, seventh round pick two hundred and fifty one. I think there's two fifty five overall. Uh, mm-hmm. Wide receiver slash tight end Stephen Sullivan out of LSU. This is kind of an underrated pick. 6'5", 248, 35 and 3 eighths inch arms. He's an incredibly long, tall human being. Ran a 4'6", 640. This is where it gets intriguing, right? Um, so he comes in. He's listed as a tight end in the draft. But the Seahawks immediately came out and, and added him to the roster as a wide receiver. And then uh, during the uh, um Press conferences after the draft, Pete Carroll indicated that they, in fact, would move him to wide receiver. He would lose some weight. He'd try to get that 40, 440 um, uh, down a little bit into the 4, 5, 6 range. And uh, he would be one of those red zone target wide receiver types and um, try, to, try to stick on the roster. Don't know. He, he looks like a prime... Uh, practice squad candidate to me so you could develop those sorts of things over time but this is an interesting pick to me yeah uh, him being listed as a wide receiver makes way more sense to me than him listing as a, as a tight end just because uh, just you know his natural like ath- you know athletic traits and stuff project more as a, a big wide receiver um who was the guy that made the huge impact in uh, the second Super Bowl that didn't do anything all oh, year man. before that? I, I Chris had his, something. Yeah, I had, Chris Harper? Um, no, it's not Harper. Uh, oh, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. And I'm, It's been a long show. Um, he kind of has that feel to me where he's just tall. He's good at the point of attack. He um, makes receptions through contact really well. Great hands. But he's not going to create a lot of separation. So you've got to earn the trust of your quarterback because you're, he's throwing to someone who's covered uh, if he's throwing to you. Yes. Um, And, but you know, he's a, this is a guy that if you go, okay, well, if he's at uh, you know, 248 now and he drops down to, you know, 240 or 235 at six, five and you're in that range and he gets his speed down into the, into the four fives, a four, five, six, something like that. Now you've got something that you can work with as a deep threat um, on -hmm. top of, you know, because now he can run and, and do those things that you need him to do um, 
athletically on top of the traits that made him good in college, which is his ability to catch everything nearby and, you know, catch through contact and that kind of stuff. So it's a very intriguing pick, uh, especially for a guy that's right at the very, very end of uh, round seven. And uh, we'll see where, where he ends up. I mean, this is the yeah. type of guy that... Well, he was just buried on LSU's roster. I mean, LSU yeah. is a very talented team, obviously. and uh, But he, he did enough as in a reserve role for them uh, behind mm-hmm. Thaddeus Moss and others um, where he got invited to the Senior Bowl, you know, and that, that left an impression, I think, in uh, the Seahawks. And we'll see. It's an, it's an end-of-the-roster guy, so... This guy is either going to be a special teams guy and make the roster, or he's going to be on the on the practice squad, and that's you know that's the way it is. And right now, the the way the wide receiver room is constructed, it's more likely that it's a practice squad guy unless he just comes out and and makes you keep him, you know. Well, and that's what David Moore did uh, when he first got it because he was you know a seventh round pick, and and when he came in, he kind of made the team keep him around by just doing a lot of things well and managed to stick around. And now he's, you know, in that um, restricted free agent range where he um, might get a second contract in the NFL and and keep, uh, you know, playing. And this is, you know, Sullivan's the type of guy that could replace more on the roster very easily because they do a lot of the same things well. Um, And Sullivan's just bigger. And so, therefore, he's going to be a bigger target. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could see, you know, to him taking that role and, and taking that same approach towards making the roster. And that's just, you know, fighting for, you know, that 50th, 53rd spot on the roster, uh, you know, his first year or starting on the practice squad, which Moore did, and, and then getting a call up at some point when somebody gets hurt and and then just kind of forcing the team to keep you. And I could totally see him doing that at the same time. You know, maybe this uh, this experiment doesn't work out, and he, you know, kind of washes out, and we never hear from him again. And and those things happen too. But as with many of the other picks in this draft for the Seahawks, this is a guy who athletically is really interesting. He may not be a great football player right now, but he's a great athlete, and they're hoping they can coach him and teach him how to play. And if they can do that, then they'll have a good player, and that's what they're looking for. Every team in the NFL after the draft scours the undrafted free agent market um, and they work with uh, some of these deals are set up prior to the draft ending. Um, but every team goes out and signs 10 to 15 guys immediately uh, to come in and compete for uh, roster spots uh, on the 90 man roster initially. And if guys can can uh, break through. Um, every year you read about guys that have uh, come in and, and uh, made the team. Um, and some some big names have uh, done that for the Seahawks over the years, including uh, Baldwin at wide Doug receiver. Baldwin, Puna Ford. Yeah. Um, and then we can we can just keep going. There's a long list of undrafted free agents yes. on that have, that have been major contributors um, for the Seahawks. So uh, and there's a bunch. There's a bunch of guys whose names I don't recognize. I have not had a chance to research. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, that'll be another show. But one guy stands yeah, we, out. 
Yeah, Anthony Gordon, uh, starting quarterback for the Washington State Cougs, um, was an interesting pickup because I didn't think that he would be on Seattle's radar because of the type of quarterback he is. He's much more of a pocket passer. Uh, a gunslinger. He ran, yeah, he runs the same that, offense that the Arizona Cardinals run. Yes, um, and, and that's actually more of where I expected him to I go. I did too. Is to go, is to end up in there or in San Francisco or... Um, you know, there's there's just some other offenses that I think he fits in. Them Maybe with they'll keep him to run better. the the uh, the scout, the scout team. team. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, that wouldn't be a bad idea if they can keep him like especially on the practice squad and and let him run the scout team those because then that's going to help the defense prepare for. Well, he was incredibly uh, kind of productive for a Pac-12 quarterback, Keith. I mean, this is a guy that played at Washington State, not some mid-level uh, school that you've never heard of. Um, this is Pac-12 competition, and he had 689 passes attempted. Can you believe that? Completed In one year. Completed 71.6% completion percentage, 5,579 yards, 48 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. This guy's just throwing the ball almost every down. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's crazy right there. That's crazy numbers. Well, and if you go through and watch him, he very rarely locks in on a on a receiver and uh is like okay i knew you know this is the play call says it's going to to you know this receiver so i can just watch and wait for that person to to break clean and then throw the ball um he drops back and surveys the field and sees his first read his second read his third read um and and goes through that progression like a classic west coast offense nice you know mike holmgren style quarterback i mean this is a guy that um, well, I was going to ask you, what attributes does he have that would allow him to stick with the Seahawks, either as the number two quarterback, which is unlikely, but it could happen, or that third quarterback that they may elect to keep this year because of the expanded practice squad protections? To me, that's what he does, is he's um, he's a little bit of a gunslinger. He gets a little bit like where he... he he can. He wants to do things. Like his mind makes uh, cashes check or writes checks that his body can't uh, cash. That's, that's that's the expression, right? Because he doesn't quite have the arm strength to to drive the ball into those tight windows in the same way that a guy like Patrick Mahomes does. But he really wants to have that ability yeah. to do that. Well, and he creates um, interesting throwing angles and and um, mm-hmm. it, it, the one thing I noticed about watching him. And I only watched him for a game last year when I watched college football. And then I watched uh, some highlights of him after the draft um, is that he really is unbalanced when he throws, throws a lot off his front foot. He throws a lot Mm -hmm. when he's in the air, um, not planted at all. And so there's a lot of balance issues that he has, a lot of throwing mechanics um, that, that'll be interesting to see if the Seahawks can correct. And if he, if they can, they could develop some, you know, somebody that could, um, and he doesn't have a lot of experience, you know, quite frankly. Just and one so year. He's, he needs some seasoning. Yeah. So this is a guy who, um, when he does have a, an opportunity to set his feet, he is, um, he's got a very quick release. He's accurate. He make, you know, he can, um, he surveys the field. Well, I already said that he can make throws at all levels. Um, he doesn't have that powerful arm, but at the same time, he throws so many of his passes, he's throwing off balance or, 
um, like you were saying, in the air because he jumped, uh, <laughs> doing a jump throw. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're not going to have extra zip on the ball. I saw him throw things. a jump throw 40 yards. I kid you not. I mean, he's just kind of one of those guys where he just he just flings it all over the place. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So what would be the, the one thing that he can't do that nobody knows if he can do yet is hand the ball off to a freaking running back. You know, I mean, he, he didn't, I didn't see yeah. him take a single snap under center. So it'd be interesting to see. Uh, he didn't, um, he didn't take snap under center and he certainly didn't hand it off to a running back very often because, um, the Cougs could go a game and have like four rushes in the entire game. That's and funny. that's crazy. But, um, you know, when, yeah, Mike no, we'll see. I mean, on, but, but you know, he was, he was the most interesting name that they, they, snagged yeah. up uh you know there's a couple of tackles there that look interesting to me i know josh avery's on there he's one of the only other names that i really recognize at defensive tackle from southeast missouri state i've watched a little bit of a film clip on him and it looks like he's kind of that penetrating defensive tackle kind of guy he's a little rolling uh, bowling mm-hmm. ball kind of uh stature but seems to have a little bit of upside twitch to him so you know there's guys at this stage of uh, acquiring uh, capital, uh, some of these guys have one thing that they do really well and like three that they're not very good at. Um, and so Seattle, if they can capitalize on that one thing or develop those two or three other things, um, that's what you're looking for at this stage. Yeah. So I think that's it. That's I mean, the draft. That's, that, that's the draft. <laughs> that's a good short little recap. I think we were going to come back next Thursday. We're sure. going to have Dan Vianes from the Dan Cave podcast come on next Thursday and do a little bit of a more of a deeper dive into a couple of these guys and kind of establish where we think maybe they will fit on the team and whatever else comes up between now and then. I'm sure we'll have a, a really nice, long, productive discussion, as we always seem to do, especially with a uh, with a guest coming on you get that third voice in here we could probably talk for three or four hours um but we won't we, but we Our won't, won't we promise <laughs> we try to hold it down <laughs> um so anyway uh so yeah good draft i thought it was a, a decent draft if i had to grade it i would it, it today which you can't do but just from the pit, pick and potential perspective i give it a solid b i mean i see some some guys giving it a c and saying yeah that's probably where it would be or even less than that i don't see anybody really giving it giving it an a um and it just doesn't it's not one of those draft classes it's one of those classes that you're kind of building the roster in different parts and so forth and so you're not getting a lot of splashy picks out of this thing um but it's it i think in time there's probably four or five guys here that stick long term Mm -hmm. and make an impact overall and that's probably the best you can hope for out of any draft so what i liked about this draft class is that none of these guys athletically were just a guy um they're all very very high upside athletic uh, players. That's a that's a, uh, an approach they used to have quite a bit of. Yes, early on when, in the Pete Carroll John Snyder era, that's what they did. They went out and drafted, you know, these like incredible athletes, and then tried to coach them. And some of them washed out very quickly, and others turned into Cam Chancellor. Um, well, and, and they had these. They had the the defensive guys that were converted into offensive, you know, linemen. Um, which, you know, that it's not the same, but it plays into that, that they're looking for athletes. And, um, this is one of those deals. I mean, Daryl Taylor's an amazing thing. I think I read Keith where we had the most athletic, 
uh, draft through t- through the first two days of the draft uh, by quite a bit of a margin than any other team. Yeah, agreed. I would like I'm I'm sure that you can look at the spark scores and that kind of stuff and, and verify that, but just based on the players and that all of them were like crazy athlete, uh, I absolutely would agree that um, there there might have been better players, but they have much lower ceilings. Uh, and so the Seahawks went out and got, uh, guys with really, really high ceilings that can develop into, into, you know, pro bowl, uh, guys fairly quickly. And that's, you only need to hit on a couple of those to make a massive impact on your team. Who's your favorite, who was your favorite pick at the time in the draft? And now after you've spent some time looking at it, who was your favorite pick? Um, let me look at the list again. <laughs> So, you know, uh, Daryl, so Brooks, Taylor, Lewis, Parkinson, Taylor. Dallas, Robinson. I would say Taylor. Taylor was my, my the one I, that when it happened, I liked the most just because I think that he can just be a difference maker and he's a difference yeah. maker at a position where they needed a difference maker. Um, probably after having gone through and looked at all the different guys, man, uh, DJ Dallas, the running back, has me very, very interested in what he does. Um, yeah. I hope they have a normal training camp so I can go actually just watch him in person and all of that uh, because I haven't watched a little bit of his tape and, and that kind of stuff now. I'm like, you and I should have been all over that guy uh, in our prep. And I'm looking work. forward to and get a, getting to, so. to know him a little bit better. I honestly don't at this point. And so, um, I'll trust you on that. I, that, that's crazy to me that you would say that over guys like Damian Lewis and Jordan Brooks. And now for me, when the, when the picks happened, I was really pretty familiar with Jordan Brooks, even though we hadn't talked to him about him on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I knew that that was going to be a high impact sort of situation, but um, I agree with you. The Daryl Taylor thing fit into what we have been talking about, um, and that fit in really well. After looking at the Damian Lewis pick, though, uh, for for a little bit of time and getting prepared for this show, that's the pick that I'm most excited about because I think that's the guy that takes over on the right side interior guard position uh, for the next, you know, at least four or five years. Um, and, uh, I think, I think everyone should be excited about that pick because I think that improves the line fluker while he talks a good game, uh, and has actually come in and really helped the locker room and, and the cohesiveness on the offensive line, his actual play has not been up to that same level. And I think that we have, uh, we've upgraded that position. And I think Lewis eventually, I believe he comes out of camp starting. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely could see it. Um, and I guess the reason why you said, like, favorite, not, like, best, uh, <laughs> because the Damian Lewis pick, uh, to get one, a player in the third round that projects as a potential day one starter and a potential uh, Pro Bowl caliber player starting in year two, um, and to get a player like that down in round three is crazy. As might be their best pick in terms of value versus talent. Um, and it's an offensive lineman, so you'd think that's who I would have picked. But yeah. uh, I think in me, time, really, I think in time, the Jordan Brooks pick becomes the best pick. Probably. 
Yeah. I just, I for think me, Pete I guess Carroll and my John favorite, Schneider know more than we do. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, I would say the reason why Dallas to me was my, my favorite of all of them was because it's a guy that I just, for some reason I had written off without really looking into him. And now I'm looking at, I'm like, why, why did I do that? And mm-hmm. there's, there is a learning process about how you to scout the draft I and agree. going back and self and self scouting and be like, okay, um, I had Josh Jones rated really high in this draft we and both the NFL did. did not. Um, he went, you know, in the uh, late third round pick, pick 72 late. Um, well, mid third round. Gotcha. Um, yep, you're right. Uh, but I had him, you know, as a potential top 15 player. I like, I realized, so now you I weren't the back. only one. Oh, a lot of people did, but I, I want to go back and see what, what did I miss? What did I like? Uh, it, what flaws did I ignore that I shouldn't have that the NFL noticed that I didn't. Um, and so there's, there is a, a process here of going through and looking at my misses and trying to figure out what I, uh, what I can learn from them. And uh, DJ Dallas is as, for the running back position. A it's one of those. I clearly did not value him pre-draft the way I should have. And having you know after the Seahawks picked him, and I went back and relooked, I'm like, I don't even know why I had him devalued. Like, there's nothing here that says, oh, well, this is a, this guy is not a player. Like everything here says this is a guy who's going to make an impact. But I, he, I like, what, yeah. where did I, the reason did I, I did, there? the reason I did is that he was one inch shorter than my normal Seahawks criteria. Now you said earlier at the top of the show, he was five ten, but he's really five nine. I mean, if you look at him too, he looks like he's five eight. I mean, he's five nine stretching it, I think at least on, on tape. And oh, that means he's my height because that's five nine. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is he's just <laughs> he's on the shorter side for us for kind of a Seahawks running back. And I don't know mm-hmm. exactly why they set that criteria, but they do. They have a kind of a cutoff and there's not many running backs outside that window for them. Um, he carries he carries 217. He does significantly better than I do as well. Of course, I'm in my 40s, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to begin to talk. So, all right. All right. So um, let's wrap this thing up, and we'll come back Thursday, yep. and we'll talk about it even more, um, just in case anybody missed the show and wants to come back and talk about new players even more, just because we do. Um, mm-hmm. So follow Keith on Twitter, at MyersNFL. I'm at Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all the shows and you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, HawksPlaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at NWCHawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week, and go Hawks!